my, again, my name is Josh Strutt. I'm one of the young adult pastors here, man. It's good always to, uh, uh, to come and open up the word um, with you guys. If you will, turn with me to uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians 6. Uh, we'll, we'll be flipping around quite a bit tonight, but we'll be starting off there. So um, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll have verses up on the screen as well. Um, actually, let's go back on the slide a second, guys. Um, but uh, okay, so a lot of my job uh, here at Christ Chapel uh, is to meet with people, which is awesome. I love that I get paid to invest in people and talk to people and just kind of hear what God's doing in their lives. Um, it's a pretty sweet gig. Um, but one of the things that I love to ask people, especially guys who are kind of newer and just kind of like our, our first time meeting, is I love to ask them, hey, like, what do you, what do you want in the church? Like, what are you looking for? What, like, what brought you here? Like, like what are you actually looking for? Um, and what I think is so, so interesting is that I've talked to a lot of people, and every time I ask that question, almost every time I get the same answer. And the answer that I get is community. So, man, I want community, but not just community. Like, I want deep, rich, gospel-centered community. And I hear that a lot, and, and I love that because, coincidentally, that's what we here try to provide. We, we, we try to create avenues for, like, really great gospel-centered community to take place, right? Because I think that um, all of us kind of have this desire for connection. Right? It's like, I want to be connected. And so, as a result, we, we long to create avenues for community to take place. Um, but here's what I think is interesting. As much as I hear people say, man, I want community, I want deep community to take place, I see something different. Oftentimes I see that what actually happens is that we love the idea of community in theory, but we don't actually like it in practice. We love the idea of community in theory, but not actually in practice because real gospel-centered community brings along something called sanctification. Um, and, and if you're just now hearing this, this word, sanctification is just a really big church word for um, the process of spiritual growth, right? It is the, um, the growing, maturing process for a believer that, that kind of chisels us to look more like Jesus, right? Um, and so because gospel-centered community brings along sanctification, um, we, we like it in theory, but not in practice because sanctification is painful, right? Sanctification is not a, a pleasant process, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a growing process, and growing is never a, a pleasant process, right? Like, does anybody remember puberty? Right? Yeah? Like not, like, not a fun process, right? Like, you're growing and things are changing, right? But it's like, it's, like, like it's not a pleasant process, right? And so, I'm oh, sorry, sanctification is not like puberty at all. Um, not really. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk later. But um, it's, it's this kind of painful process, right? And because it's painful, because it's not a comfortable process, we, we try to avoid it sometimes, right? And, and I think that is an absolute shame. Because what happens when we avoid the sanctification process, especially in community, is I think we just miss out on a lot of life. I think we miss out on a lot of growth. We miss out on a lot of um, um, experiences that help us look more like Jesus and, and ultimately make us fall more in love with who Jesus is. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to lay out a case for us for why I think that we shouldn't avoid sanctification but actually welcome sanctification. I want to lay out two primary reasons why we should um, welcome sanctification um, in the community process um, as opposed to avoiding it in hopes that we be people who actually love community, not just in theory, but also in practice. Because I think that if that happens, there's a lot of joy that takes place. There's a lot of life. There's a lot of growth. And at the end of the day, we learn to love Jesus more and look more like him. So um, that's where we're going to go tonight. So but let me just... Go ahead and, and kick it off um, with the first reason. 
The first reason I think that we should um, welcome sanctification as opposed to avoiding it is because a gospel-centered community helps each other put sin to death. A real gospel-centered community will help each other put sin to death. So um, if, if that phrase sounds really churchy to you, let me kind of explain it like, like this. Um, when we're actually a community um, that rallies around the gospel, right? So we, we are a, a gospel-centered community. Um, what happens is that we love each other enough to say, hey, your sin is not okay. A real gospel-centered community will love each other enough to say, hey, your sin is not okay. I, I think it's destructive. I think it's robbing you of life. It's robbing you of joy. Um, I, 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 let's get together and let's put this thing to death, right? And, and the way that we see this go down primarily um, is by pointing out sinful blind spots. The way that we see this go down primarily is by pointing out sinful blind spots. Um, let me show you what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. He says this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But keep watch of yourself, lest you too should be tempted. All right. What Paul is saying right here is that, hey, if you as a believer, see a fellow believer, so, so granted, not a non-believer, so if you were in the room tonight and you're like, man, like, I'm, I don't really know if I believe this stuff, man, welcome. Um, like, we're not going to be calling out sin. We aren't, aren't going to be pointing out stuff because, because our standards are, are different, right? Um, because, because scripture is not your authority. But if you are a believer and, and, and you say, hey, man, I have put my faith in Christ, I'm following Christ, and, and his word is our authority, then, man, if we are believers who see other believers walking down a, a path and, and it's, it's sinful, then we have a responsibility to, to lovingly point out sinful blind spots. Because Again, notice it, it doesn't say like guilt trip them into behavior modification. It says, no, in the spirit of gentleness, we restore them, okay? We restore them. Now, here's the problem with that. Again, that's uncomfortable. Like, like that's not a comfortable process for either party, right? Like, like no one likes to be called out on sin. No one likes someone to point out these kind of sinful blind spots. I don't. Like, I get really defensive. Like, if, if you come and you call me out on sin, my kind of knee-jerk reaction is I'm going to get defensive because I don't like it. It's not a comfortable thing, right? But here's the reality. I'm a sinful dude, and I have a lot of blind spots. There are a lot of areas in my life um, that I'm so blinded to, right? So many areas of sin that, that, that I don't even see in my life anymore, right? And what I need is I need brothers and sisters who identify that, who see my blind spots, to walk alongside me and say, hey... Like, this is a problem. I love you too much to allow you to keep doing this. Man, like, I, like, we need to put this to death, right? Because that is the most loving thing we can do. Pointing out sinful blind spots on a brother or sister is the most loving thing that we can do, and I'll tell you why. We believe that sin is destructive, but not just destructive. We believe that sin leads to death. Scripture is clear. Romans 6 um, says that the wages of sin is death meaning that, that what we earn by our sin is death, right? Um, Proverbs 14, 12 says, man, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And so what we see through Scripture is that there's never a scenario where sin brings life or joy. It just brings death. And, and when I say death, I don't, I don't mean like a physical death, like if you lie, like God's going like to smite you or something like that. Like, I mean like a spiritual death, right? I'm, I'm talking about the emptiness and the brokenness that sin leaves in its wake. Talking about the, the guilt and the shame that weighs heavy upon us when we are involved in sin. I'm talking about this spiritual death. Right? There's not a scenario where sin actually brings joy or life. It just brings death. 
right? Now, now sin may bring pleasure, but even the pleasure that we derive from sin is fleeting. It's temporary. It, it just leaves us wanting more. It only brings death. So if we believe that to be true, if we believe that sin is destructive, that sin leads to death, then, then if I see you walking down a path that I believe is going to lead to your demise and I don't say anything to you about it, how unloving is that? How unloving is it to watch someone walk down a path that we believe is going to lead to their destruction and we don't say anything because we think, ah, it's going to be awkward. Ah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's weird. How unloving is that? Um, let me illustrate it like this. Uh, when I was in college, I, I used to see this girl uh, walk in the class every day, and she happened to be blind. And so um, one day I see her, and we're at a cr- crosswalk, and so I'm here, and she's there. Um, and this crosswalk had that kind of like beeping sound that let you know that it was okay to walk if you couldn't see. And so we're sitting there, and the light changes, the beeping sound goes off, and this girl starts walking. Um, the problem, though, is that the beeping sound was not for her lane, but it was for this lane. Um, so, so this girl who, who can't see anything literally starts walking out into traffic, has no idea. What do you think the people around her did? Do you think they like stood there and, and they're like, oh my gosh, bless her heart, she's going to get hit by a car. <laughs> no, like they, 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 they ran to the street and they grabbed her. You know why? Because you don't let blind people walk into traffic, right? Like, like no, like you're a jerk if you do, right? Like can we all agree, like if you get nothing else tonight, you're a horrible person if you let blind people walk into traffic. Can we all agree on that, right? Yet, okay, like, don't miss this. Yet, from a spiritual standpoint, we let blind people walk into traffic all the time. From a spiritual standpoint, we allow people to walk into traffic all the time. We let brothers and sisters who are blinded to their sin walk down roads that we are convinced leads to their destruction. And that is so unloving, so unloving. So what we're called to as a gospel-centered community is to lovingly walk alongside them and say, hey, man, this is going to be awkward, and, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to judge you. I mean, like, I think that what, the road that you're walking down is dangerous. It's, it's dangerous, man, and I, let's, let's put this to death. And we have a call on our lives as a gospel-centered community to walk alongside people and help them put their sin to death, not because we're a bunch of legalists with a whistle just waiting to call fouls, but because we believe that sin is destructive and we want to help them put it to death. Um, growing up, I, um, I was kind of like the model good kid. Um, I don't really kind of know how that happened, but uh, I was just a kid who just never really strayed. I never really um, disobeyed. I never really did anything wrong. And I think um, part of that is because I loved Christ and I wanted to be obedient out of um, what he had done for me. But I think there was, um, in, in hindsight, uh, I think there was an, another part of me that felt a certain pressure not to mess up. I think that I'd kind of found my identity in being just kind of the good moral kid, and so I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want people to, to think any, any less of me, so I was just, just kind of overrun by this pressure just to perform and just to be good and to be moral, right? Um, and so that kind of played itself out all throughout high school. So um, I get to college, and I had this realization that no one knows me. Like, I'm, like, like, no one knows who I am. Like, like, I don't have to be Josh Story, like, the good kid. Like, no one knows that persona. I can kind of be whoever I want to be, right? And so I've never really experienced anything else. And so I thought, man, I just kind of want to see what else is out there. I, I just want to kind of figure out life apart from being the good kid. Um, and so just kind of typical freshman in college fashion, I just kind of go out and I start partying. I just kind of start, you know, experimenting stuff. And so probably two months into college, um, I run into one of my best friends from high school at a party. 
Um, and I was a belligerent fool at this party. And she sees me, and she's like, hey, um, do you want to grab lunch tomorrow? And I was like, yes. I love lunch. Lunch is awesome. Let's get lunch. And she's like, okay, easy. And so we like go, and uh, the next day we go and sit, sit down, and we have lunch, and she opens her mouth, and this is what she says this right off the bat. She says, I don't know who that was last night. She was the guy that I saw at the party, that's not the Josh story that I know. The Josh that I met last night seemed sad. He seemed lost. He seemed like he was searching. He seemed like he was trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction really in anything. And what I saw was someone who was not actually fulfilled. I miss the old Josh. I miss the Josh that I know. I miss the Josh who understands that his worth and his value is in the fact that he is a son of God. I miss the Josh who understands that fullness of life and fullness of joy is found only in Christ. That's the Josh that I miss. I'd love to see that Josh again. That was the most gentle kick in the teeth I'd ever gotten in my life. I mean, she said that, and I, I just like melt, like it crushed me because she was right. Like I was lost. I had totally lost sight of who I was. I'd lost sight of what Christ had done for me. I'd lost sight of the fact that that fullness of joy and fullness of life is found in Christ. And I was running to all these empty wells to try to find satisfaction. And, And I know that that wasn't an easy conversation for her to have. But man, I had never felt more loved in, in that moment. I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel condemned. I felt loved because someone cared enough about my soul to have an awkward conversation. Say, hey, I see the road that you're walking down, and I think it's going to lead to your destruction. And let's put this sin to death. So, man, as a gospel-centered community, we are called to walk alongside each other and help put sin to death. And, again, that's not fun. That's not easy. That's an awkward scenario, but it's loving. It's loving, and it leads to growth, and it helps us look more like Christ. So, So that's the first reason why I think that we should welcome sanctification as opposed to avoiding it. But let, let me give you the second reason why I think this is. Um, because sanctification and, and walking in community is not just about blowing whistles and calling fouls and, and pointing out sin. That would be brutal. Um, there's actually another aspect to it, um, and it's this. A gospel-centered community reminds each other of the hope that we have when everything seems hopeless. A gospel-centered community reminds each other of the hope we have when everything seems hopeless. Um, so life is brutal. Um, life is brutal. And you can just look around the world and you see that to be true. Um, we live in a broken, fallen world, a world that is plagued by sin, a world that is um, plagued by disease and sickness and death and addiction and, and all these things. Um, and there are moments in time when we come in contact with this, and all of a sudden we realize, man, this just seems hopeless. It seems hopeless. Man, but as believers, man, we have a hope, and it's called the gospel. And what the gospel says is this. It says that Christ came as the holy, perfect son of God, and he paid the penalty for sin once and for all. But he didn't just die. He, he was buried, and then he rose from the grave. And when he rose, he conquered the power of sin and death forever. That he has ascended and he is now sitting at the right hand of God. 
interceding for us, advocating for us, saying, man, like what you see is, is not the sin. You see the blood of the I have shed for him, for her. So we have him interceding. So God now sees us as holy and spotless and blameless because of what Christ has done. And, and if that's what the gospel was, if that's where it stopped, that alone would be phenomenal. But that's not where it stops. Because Christ has promised he's coming back. And when he returns, he's going to make all things new. He's going to restore everything that has been broken, everything that, that is plagued by sin, all the things, all the, the disease and the death and the sickness and the addiction and the pain and the abuse, all those things are going to disappear. And he's going to restore all things. And that is hope. And that is hope. But here's the deal. I am so quick to forget that. Man, I am so nearsighted. I'm so quick to forget the hope that we have in Christ. And, and, and all it takes is one thing that I don't like. And like, it, honestly, it doesn't even have to be a big thing. Like if my phone doesn't connect to Wi-Fi, I'm like, God, where are you, right? Like it's, like it's, like I, I just like crumble, like it's, it's hopeless, right? But, but, but that feeling just, just magnifies when it's something that's actually tragic. Right? And in that moment, what I need is I need brothers and sisters to walk alongside me and remind me of the hope that I have in Christ. I need people to remind me in the midst of my hopelessness that we do have a hope, right? And because there's all going to be seasons for every single person in this room where, where we just run into things that just feel hopeless. I mean, someone's going to die. Someone's going to get sick. Someone's going to get cancer at 30. Someone's going to um, experience something that's absolutely tragic. And in that moment, everything's going to seem hopeless. And we need brothers and sisters to graciously remind us of the hope that we have when everything seems hopeless. And we even have a, a, a biblical command to do that. Look at Hebrews. Um, it'll be up on the screen. Hebrews 10, um, 23. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good, words, or good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So, so what he's saying here is, hey, we, we have a hope. We have a hope, and it's in Christ. So don't forget that. Don't, let's, let's stop and let's remember. Let's meet and encourage and let's talk about it because the day is coming when Christ will return and make all things new. But until that day, let's meet and let's stir each other up. Let's remind each other of the hope that we have. Man, and when this happens, man, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when everything seems hopeless, there's nothing more um, beautiful than a community that's willing to remind each other of the hope that we have. Um, I've shared this before, uh, but my, my dad passed away when I was a senior in college. And it was one of those just crazy freak deals where he, he wasn't sick. Um, we didn't see it coming. His body just decided to stop working. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things where uh, there wasn't a lot of hope in the moment. I mean, any time that a healthy 53-year-old man dies leaving behind a wife and two kids, there's nothing hopeful about that. And we felt that. And we had question upon question, and we just wanted to know, God, wait, like, what are you doing in this? Like, what are you doing in this? And, and on, on top of that, um, everyone in that moment wants to provide hope. And so, and so everyone at the hospital is trying to tell us stuff, and, and more often than not, it's, it's not helpful. It's not actual hope, Right? 
And so we just had these questions. We're like, God, what are you doing? And I remember getting in my car and driving home to grab my stuff so I could move home for a couple weeks and just handle funeral stuff. And when I, when I pulled in my driveway, um, there were 20 guys in my living room. And, and I walked in there, and man, we just sat for two hours, and we just cried, and we grieved, and we mourned, and we prayed. And these guys were there, and, and we just sat in silence for a while. Um, and then they graciously reminded me of the hope that we had. We were able to sit there, and, and they were able to remind me, hey, man, this world is broken. God, this world is so broken, and, and the death that your dad experienced, man, that's, that's a symptom of that. Man, but Christ is coming. He's going to restore it. He's going to make all things new, and there's going to be no more pain or death or tears or mourning. All this stuff is going to disappear. Man, and we can rest in the fact as well that, that man, that, that your dad, he knew Jesus, that, that he understood the gospel, that he placed his faith in what Christ has done for him, and now he's not hurting anymore. Man, he's, he's face to face with the God of the universe. Man, the God who, who put the stars in the sky and spoke creation into existence, that God is walking with your father face to face. No more guilt, no more shame. He gets to experience the fullness of who God is. And that's hope. They were able to remind me of that. It, and it didn't change the fact that we hurt. Don't, don't miss that. It doesn't change the fact that, that we still grieve and we still mourn and it still hurts. But it provides hope in the midst of the pain. And as a gospel-centered community, we have the privilege of walking alongside brothers and sisters and reminding them of the hope we have when everything seems hopeless. So, man, my, my desire is, is that we see that, man, this is why we should welcome sanctification. We should welcome this, this, this growth process that comes along with community. Um, and, and not avoid the sanctification process, but actually welcome it because it leads to growth. It helps us understand who God is. It helps us fall more in love with Jesus and, and makes us look more like him. Um, now, here's the deal. Uh, I, I can tell you why I think we should welcome this in, um, but I can't make you do it, right? Um, so, so here's how I want to close. Um, I want to give us kind of two quick application points to, to make sure that we are people who, who, who don't just understand um, what gospel-centered community should look like, but we're actually living now. That, that we're not just fans of community in theory, but we're actually practicing it. We're, we're living it out um, so that we may experience the full benefits of the sanctification process. So um, let me start by saying this. Um, the first thing that I would encourage you to do um, is to find a community and commit. And <laughs> Commit. But commit even when it's uncomfortable. Um, and like we've been saying, man, the sanctification process is not a comfortable process, right? And, and so what typically happens is that someone gets really excited about finding a community and, and, and they're plugging in, but as soon as they feel that initial discomfort, they're out, right? And they, and they bail because it's, it's not a comfortable process, right? And so we see this play out all the time, and so this is typically how it plays out. Usually it has to do with someone calling out sin. Someone will be walking along society, guys, and they're getting close, and they're being vulnerable, and then someone calls out sin, and that person, they, they feel, oh, man, like that, that doesn't feel good. And so what they do is they create a narrative, and the narrative says, man, that person doesn't understand grace. That person doesn't understand the gospel. That, that person doesn't understand grace. They're, they're, they're judgmental. They're, they're, they're legalistic. 
They don't actually love me. And so what they do is they create that narrative and then they bail. And they find a community that's willing to coddle them and willing just to tolerate their sin. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart because what happens is, one, you absolutely stunt your spiritual growth. You stunt your spiritual growth, but two, you develop a really shallow definition of love where you substitute love for tolerance. And you're not growing. You're not looking more like Christ. You're not putting sin to death. You're simply just doing whatever you want to do and calling it community. So man, my, my hope is, is that we actually be people who, who find community and we commit even when it's uncomfortable because it's going to get uncomfortable, right? And so we have avenues for that. Man, we, have, we have small groups. Um, so man, if, if you have a desire to say, man, I've never experienced this, I've never walked in community, man, come find me or a staff member and, and say, hey, I wanna be in a small group or get a connect card and check the box that says, yo, I wanna be in a small group. That's not actually what it says, but it's close. Um, but say, hey, like, I want to be in community. Like, we have avenues for that to go on, right? So I, mean, I, I would encourage you, find a community and commit. Stick it out. Commit even when it's uncomfortable because I think that you're going to love the end result. You're going, like, it, it's going to be painful, but it's going to produce fruit in your life that is phenomenal. But here's the second, second thing I would say. I would encourage you to be vulnerable. I would encourage you to be vulnerable. Um, and if, if we are called to walk alongside you in a way that we are helping you put sin to death and we are um, helping to encourage you and, and to stir you up um, by, by reminding you of the hope that we have. And if that's what we're called to do, we can't do that if we don't know what's going on. And, and so often, the stuff that we carry, the stuff that we struggle with, um, man, it's under the surface. Um, it's stuff that's not visible. Um, and so, man, if, if we don't know what's going on, if, if we... We just can't do anything. We, we can't help walk alongside you. We can't point you to Christ. We can't help you put sin to death if we don't know. So, man, I would encourage you, man, be vulnerable. Now, again, that's awkward and uncomfortable, and it's weird, especially if you feel like no one else is being vulnerable, right? I mean, I think that is the hardest thing to do when, when, when you want to be vulnerable, but no one else is being vulnerable, right? Because, I mean, I think a lot of us have been in that, like, small group setting where everyone's going around and they're, like, praying and, like, Every prayer request feels like, I mean, I just want to pray for my grandma's cat. Um, she's got like cataracts and keeps bumping into walls, and <laughs> my grandma's really upset about it. And like, and you're like, crap. Like, like this person's life is so good. The worst thing is their grandma's cat's cataracts. Are you kidding me? Right? Like, like, like I'm not about to confess something. I'm not about to drop a bomb in the middle of this thing when he's talking about his grandma's cat. Right? Like, like I think a lot of us have been in, in that place. And the reality is. Um, man, like, I guarantee you, okay, I would bet money that you're not the only person who feel, feels that way. I would bet money that there's somebody in the group who is just waiting for permission to be vulnerable, someone who is just waiting for someone else to take a step of faith and say, hey, man, this is where I am. This is my baggage. This is where I'm walking. This is, where I'm th- this is what I'm thinking about. This is what's going on in my heart. And I guarantee you, if you were to take the step in being vulnerable, if you were to change the culture, if you were to set the pace of being vulnerable, I guarantee you, people would follow. But it's hard. It's, again, it's, it's awkward. But man, when we are people who, who drag sin into the light and say, hey, this is where I am, will you walk with me? Will you help me put this to death? And I, I, I've lost hope. I, I don't... I just don't see what God's doing in this situation. Will you remind me of who God is? Man, when we do that, oh my gosh. 
That's when we get to experience this kind of deep, rich community that we all long for, but we very rarely get to experience. So man, I encourage you, commit even when it hurts and be vulnerable. And that's my hope for us, is that we would be a people who are actually um, not just fans of community in, in theory, but we actually live it out, but we actually practice it. And so, man, if you've, again, if you've never experienced this and you thought, man, like, I, I'm, I don't know what this is, man, we have ways for you to get involved, man, come find us. Let's, let's chat tonight about what it looks like to be in community. Let me say one last thing. Um, if you're in here and you're not a believer, um, and you hear this and you think, man, I've never heard of a community like this. I've never heard of community where people love each other enough to tell them that what they're doing is destructive. I've never experienced that. I've never experienced a community where people actually care to know what's going on in your heart and, and to encourage you. Like, like, I don't know what that is. First off, let me say that, man, the love that we are talking about is only possible because of Christ. Like, I don't have the ability to love someone like that apart from Christ. And the love that we show to each other through gospel-centered community is just a shadow of the love that God has for you. So, man, my hope is that, first off, that you know that love. And so if you have questions about that, man, like, let's, let's definitely chat. I want to make sure that you understand the depth of God's love for you because it's incredible. But second, if you've never experienced that and, and you have questions, man, come, come be a part of this. And our hope is that this is a place where you feel like you can belong before you believe. If you look at how the disciples of Christ kind of came about, um, man, all of Jesus' disciples, they followed him before they believed in him. They were just following him around, not really knowing who he was or what he, he was doing. They, they were just intrigued by it. And they followed him before they actually believed. So, man, come, come follow. And come be a part of this community. Come be a part of what's going on here. Even if you don't believe this stuff yet, that's totally cool. My hope is that you do believe. But man, I, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to understand the community that he has created because I think that they're gonna love you really, really well. So man, if you have, again, if you have questions, come, come find me. And again, at the end of the day, gospel-centered community is something that I feel like we all long for. We all wanna be known. We all wanna be connected to somebody. But the reality is so often we love the idea, but we don't actually like to do it because it's painful. Man, if we were a people who were to actually, actually engage in community, even through the painful sanctification process, man, I think the Lord would do incredible things. I think you would grow. I think you would learn to love him more. I think you would stand in awe of who he is and what he has done. I think that you would look more like him. And I would love to see us be a people who actually walked out the gospel in community, regardless of how painful that may be. Let's pray. Um, Father, I, uh, I'm introspective tonight, Father. Um, I, even in just thinking about this, this idea, um, there have been so many seasons where I've, I've walked, um, I've walked alone, um, seasons where I felt like I wasn't known, um, desiring to, to be known. Um, and then there have been seasons where I felt like I've, I've known others and they've known me. Um, and those are two very drastically different seasons. And so, Father, for the brothers and sisters in this room who feel alone, um, Lord, I ask that, that we be a community of people 
who can walk alongside them um, and encourage them and point them to Jesus. Uh, my desire for this room is that, is that we understand the love that you have for us and that that's seen most clearly through community, through walking alongside people and, and loving them enough to say, hey, your sin is not okay but I want to lovingly help you put that sin to death or whether it's encouraging us saying, hey, like, I know that you don't see the hope right now, but there is hope. Let's, let's talk about that. Father, may we be a community that, that's not content with just liking this idea of community in theory, but not actually practicing or, or living it out. Father, may we be people who are painfully aware of how hard it is to walk in community, but that we do it because we want to look more like you. Father, will you equip us to be those kinds of people tonight? Let's turn something to pray. Amen.